Anyway, I, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I love summer blockbuster movies, especially superhero movies. Any of you guys like superhero movies? Thank you, because first service was like, yeah, yeah, so it was a little bit awkward. But I, usually in the summer, there's a big blockbuster movie, a superhero movie that comes out, and we're introduced to or reintroduced to a superhero now, this summer is obviously a little bit different. All these movie release dates are being backed up, so we don't have a big blockbuster superhero movie. But what, what are some of your favorites? You can shout them out. What are some of your favorite superhero movies? Let me hear some. Superman, Spider-Man. Which, which Spider-Man? There's like 15 different Spider-Mans. No. <laughs> the newest Spider-Man? Like the newest ones, the homecoming one and stuff like that? All right. Someone else. I heard one. Iron Man. All right. What's that? Winter Soldier. Good one. What's that? Black Panther. So my probably my all-time favorite superhero movie is The Dark Knight. It's it's a Batman movie. If you don't know, <laughs> and Bob, you knew. I know. And so, uh, but one of the things, in my opinion, that makes that movie so great is the introduction of a supervillain, and that being the Joker. Heath Ledger, in my opinion, just did an amazing job portraying the Joker in that movie. Well, in the past, we've done summer series, uh, summer sermon series on some of the heroes of the Bible, but we thought we would go in a different direction this summer by doing a series on some of the villains in the Bible. Now, you might think that we're going to be talking about some people like Jezebel or Haman or Pharaoh or maybe even Satan, uh, but instead, what we're going to do is we're going to go in a different direction and we're going to look at some villains that maybe are a little less obvious, maybe a little more hidden. Yet these villains are, are extremely dangerous, and they impact all of us. So today, the villain that we're going to look at is the heart. The heart. I realize that doesn't sound like much of a villain, because we tend to think of the heart as a source of good, not evil. But we're going to look at the dark side of this, this organ that is inside our chest. Now, I've made this, this confession before, but I feel like I need to confess of this egregious sin that was in my past. Um, so there was a time in my life where I did something so horrible, so awful, so appalling. And I'm extremely embarrassed about it. And when I tell you this, I know I'm going to lose the shred of respect I might have from you. And I'll lose all my dignity. But they say that confession is good for you. In fact, it brings about healing. Um, so here it is. Many years ago, I watched a season of The Bachelor. And... I, I hate that about myself. Like since then, I've repented. I've washed my eyes out with soap. I've turned to better shows like The Office and Parks and Rec. But, um, but I just remember there was this, this common theme from this ridiculous dating show. If you've ever seen it, uh, you need to repent too. But, uh, <laughs> there was this common theme among the contestants. They would often say, uh, I've got to follow my heart. I've got to follow my heart. And, and that sounds like a very reasonable statement, right? We think that, that we're doing the right thing by following our heart. We think that following our heart will lead to the best decision, to going the right way. Proverbs 4.23, which we read earlier, says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So, so this passage tells us that this heart is pretty important because everything we do flows from it. Now, most of us think that we have a good heart, Therefore, following your good heart is a good thing. The problem is, the Bible teaches something quite different. And I'll show you in a minute. So before we jump into this, this one verse in the Bible that I just want to dissect today, I wanted to do something. Most of you have, have heard of the Rorschach test. And if you've not heard of it, you would probably know it 
more by the inkblot test. And so what will happen is a psychologist will take the inkblot, I think we got a picture of that, and they'll, they'll show it to their patient, and then they'll ask their patient to tell them what that, what that looks like to them. And so it's a psychological test where, again, the, the psychologist will put out these ink blots and tell the patient, what, what do you see? Psychologists use this to examine a person's personality, characteristics, and emotional functioning. It's been used to detect underlying thought disorders, and it really helps the psychologist know the the patient's thought process, like what's going on inside of them. Well, I'm not going to show you ink blots, but I'm going to do something kind of similar. I'm going to say some words, and I want you to just think about your immediate reaction to those words, whether it's positive or negative, whether it gets your, your blood boiling or blood pressure up, or, or maybe it excites you, or maybe it just makes you feel indifferent. And, and please don't add any commentary, like no cheering or booing. You'll see why in a moment. Just, again, think about what your immediate reaction is to that and, and, and maybe why you have that immediate reaction. All right, here are some words. Ready? Republicans. Democrats. Donald Trump. Nancy Pelosi. Mountaineers. Thundering Herd. Buckeyes. Man, I'm holding back cheering. Wildcats. Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Fox News, CNN, Border Wall, COVID-19, Required Face Masks, Antifa, Protests, Rioting. I suspect that, that for most of these words, it triggered an immediate reaction, an immediate response from you, either positively or negatively. And of course, the media you consume and your personal experience, they, they play into how you perceive things. But much of our response, and not just to things like this, I realize a lot of those were political words that just get people charged, but, but much of our response has to do with our heart. Everything flows from it. One of the best verses in all of Scripture that illustrates our heart condition comes from the prophetic voice of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. So if you've read the book of Jeremiah, it can kind of be a little bit confusing sometimes. And kind of depressing in some parts. See, Jeremiah grieved over the wickedness of the people and, and the impending judgment uh, that they were going to be facing because of their, their sins, the nation's sins. His, his warnings that he would give to the people mostly went unheeded. And so he responded to Judah's rebellion with tears of mourning. That's why he's often been called the weeping prophet because of the gloomy nature of his message, but also the grief he expressed for his people. So during the time of, of Jeremiah, the nation of Israel was under God's judgment. If you've read the Old Testament, you kind of get a feel for this, that, that when the nation of Israel would disobey God and they would turn to foreign gods, they would worship other gods, then God would allow these surrounding nations to invade and conquer them. And then they, they would turn back to God, they would repent and turn back to God, and God would show up once again and demonstrate his power and he would restore Israel. Well, during this time period of Jeremiah, while he was prophesying, the, the nation was under God's judgment, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was putting pressure on the kingdom of Judah. So at this time, there was a man named Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar basically allowed Jehoiakim to be the king, but he insisted that Judah pay Babylonian taxes, that they would pay taxes to, to the kingdom of Babylon. They, they were also to follow their orders, and they were not to have a standing army. Well, Jehoiakim decided, you know, enough of this. He, he had read enough history to say, hey, we're God's people. 
we're not going to put up with this anymore. And so he started to raise up an army. And they are about to declare war on Nebuchadnezzar. And it would kind of be like West Virginia declaring war on the rest of the United States. Like, I realize that we're a scrappy bunch of people and we got a whole lot of firearms for our little state. But it's still not going to end well, right? And so Jeremiah, he goes to Jehoiakim and he says, like, are you crazy? We're, we're under God's judgment. You can't win this war. You're going you're gonna to be going against God, not to mention common sense here. But Jehoiakim, he refused to listen to Jeremiah and he barely gets the war started when Nebuchadnezzar marches right into Jerusalem, puts Jehoiakim in chains, and puts a guy named Zedekiah on the throne in Judah. I mean, it, it just, it took about a minute, right? There, there was no hope that they could win this one. So now Zedekiah is the king of, of Judah, and Jeremiah goes to Zedekiah, and he says, look, we are under God's judgment. Your responsibility is to bring this nation back to repentance and to God, and if you do that, God will honor his covenant with Israel. Well, time goes by and Zedekiah starts to think, you know, I think we can take on Nebuchadnezzar. So he starts raising up an army and he's going to declare war on the superpower Babylon and, and King Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah is like, look, I know you probably don't understand a lot of history, but like this just happened a few weeks ago. We've already tried this. Do you remember how this went? We've already been down this road and it didn't go well. And Zedekiah is like, yeah, but this time, we're going to do things different. We're going to throw off Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to do our own thing. We're going to be an independent nation. We're going to become a superpower. And Jeremiah is going, no, no, we're not, because we're under God's judgment. This is not the time to be raising up an army. This is a time to bring the people back to repentance. Zedekiah doesn't listen to Jeremiah, and, and history repeats itself. And Jeremiah is just so frustrated. He's like, what is wrong with people? What is up with people? People are, are crazy. I mean, this is unbelievable. And so part of this book, Jeremiah is just going, God, what is up with people? And some of you are like, I need to go read Jeremiah because I've been thinking that too. What is wrong with people? And some of you are like, I mean, that's what I've been asking of my family. What is wrong with them? But in the middle of this, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, he makes a statement. And I think this statement helps us understand the dynamic of our own hearts and certainly helps helps us understand some of what we are experiencing around us every single day. And this is, this is not good news. Like it's true news, but it's not good news, especially for those, those of us who, who generally think we're good people. Here's what Jeremiah says in the midst of all this craziness. Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Let's read this passage together because we're going to focus in on this verse for a while. Ready? Let's read it. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So why do I say that the heart is, is a villain? What is it that makes the heart such a villain? Well, Jeremiah says the first thing we see is that the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful. Notice in this passage that Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. Not the heart is dishonest, but the heart is deceitful. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between dishonesty and deceitfulness, right? You've had people just plain old lie to you before. They've been dishonest with you. And, and maybe you figured out they were lying and, and you, you pretty much can identify a lie, right? It comes back. Somehow it, it comes back. But deceit is different because deceit is generally a little bit of truth and a little bit of a lie. And there's just enough truth for you to, 
to be led astray and fall for the lie. And it can be very difficult to sort out what's true and what's not true if somebody is actually using deceit. And so Jeremiah says that, 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 this, that the heart is deceitful. And notice Jeremiah doesn't say some hearts are, are deceitful. He simply says the heart is deceitful. Like this is a universal issue. Everyone has the same heart condition. Again, Jeremiah uses this word deceit. He says that your heart, my heart, by nature of the fact that we are sinful and we live in a sinful world, we, are, we have a corrupted heart. A heart that Jeremiah describes as deceitful and then he says, above all things. It is deceitful above all things. In other words, Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, says that your heart and my heart, it's the most deceitful thing on the planet. Above all things. And not only do our hearts deceive other people, but it's worse than that. Here's why the heart is such a villain. It has the potential and ability to even deceive ourselves. Your heart tells you just enough truth to get you to manufacture a story that is based really on a lie. And you start to believe this story that your heart has helped manufacture. It tells you just enough truth to make you out to be the hero, to be the protagonist of your own story. Your heart convinces you to root for yourself, even when you're wrong, even when you are hurtful to others, even when you are part of the problem. Again, our hearts tell us just enough truth to be convincing. Like, my, my, my boss is so demanding. Her expectation level is just unrealistic. It's ridiculous. Or my teacher doesn't communicate what he wants from this essay. Or my spouse, my spouse just isn't meeting my needs. And then we finish the story. And that's why I'm behind in my work. And that's why I didn't do well on the test. And that's why I need to look for somebody else. We excuse and rationalize our own behavior and thoughts and and put it all on what someone else says or what someone else does. And we buy the deceit, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Ask yourself this question and answer it with, with honesty. When is the last time you called yourself out for your own bull? Seriously, when's the last time you've caught yourself making excuses for yourself, blaming your hardships on others, and you called yourself out for it? We, we so easily see it in others, don't we? We're quick to cry foul when others do wrong, when others are making excuses for themselves. But our hearts deceive us into thinking that we aren't doing the exact same thing. So what do we do? We, we call it out in others. We rationalize. We make excuses for ourselves. We blame, blame, blame. We never want to see ourselves as part of the problem. We are our own hero in our made-up story. Am I stepping on any toes yet? Mine are hurting. And Jeremiah says it's worse than just our hearts being deceitful. He says the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. The heart is beyond cure. The heart is not only deceitful above all things, but Jeremiah says it's beyond cure, meaning that you don't, you don't pray this deceit away. You don't do enough good to tip the scales and make your heart good. It's part of our brokenness. It's part of our sinful nature. And so Jeremiah makes these observations about the heart. Again, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And then it's almost like he throws his hands up in the air and he asks this question, who can understand it? Who can understand it? Who can understand our condition here? And you've experienced this, haven't you? 
You look back at some of the decisions that you've made in the past and you've said, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did we purchase that? Why did we borrow so much money for that? Why did I, why did I say what I said? What was going through my mind when I did that? Why did I ever trust him? Why did I ever call her back? Everybody said, don't call her back. My mom even said, don't call her back. And I called her back. What was I thinking? How could I have been so stupid? And Jeremiah is saying, look, don't be surprised. This is a permanent condition. And if you aren't careful, if you don't recognize this villain inside of you, you will spend the rest of your life looking back on the decisions you have made, thinking, what in the world was I thinking? Why in the world did I say that? Why in the world did I do that? And it's because you've been following your heart. It's because your heart, my heart, is deceitful. And this isn't a criticism. This is an observation. Which means for the rest of your life, there are going to be times where you're going to just need to sit down and really assess your life. You're going to need to ask God to reveal in you, in your life, where there is deceit, where you are being deceived. What's awesome is that when Jeremiah asks this question about the heart, who can understand it, he answers his own question, or or he answers with words from God. Verse 10 says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. It is the Lord who knows the whole truth about our heart. He cuts right through the brokenness and deceit and excuses and rationalizations He searches and he knows the heart. He knows that we have a sinful and corrupted heart and we have a tendency to believe the deceit. We have a tendency to trust in ourselves. And that's that's really what Jeremiah is addressing with these people of his time. He's delivering a message to people who had been trusting in themselves, who had been trusting in their own wisdom, in their own understanding, in their own abilities. Uh, People who, in essence, had been following their heart. And this observation he made some 25, 2600 years ago still seems so relevant today, doesn't it? We continue to be a people who always think that we're right. I mean, it'll take you about 10 seconds of scrolling through Facebook to see evidence of this, right? We think our opinions are always right. We we are a people who buy into the deceit of our own heart. We are still a people who trust in ourselves. We are still a people who believe it is always the fault of somebody else. That we are the hero of our own story. We are still people who try to follow our own hearts. And I know all of this sounds kind of depressing, but this weeping prophet isn't all doom and gloom. He gives us a glimmer of hope in the rest of verse 10. Again, it starts off by saying, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. And then we read about the results of of the searching that God does. He searches the heart and the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Now, please understand that what he's talking about here is not some works-based salvation. It's it's not some way of earning your way into heaven because you can't do that. But there's some incredible hope in this passage about our hearts. So we see that God knows our heart. He knows that the heart is deceitful and beyond cure. But even though our hearts are deceitful, we are rewarded not by the deceit of our heart, but according to our conduct, according to our deeds. Meaning our hearts may try to lead us astray. Our hearts may tempt us to make selfish and self-destructive decisions. But we don't have to listen to our hearts. We don't have to follow our hearts. We don't have to trust ourselves. In fact, we shouldn't trust ourselves. 
We're not rewarded based on temptation and deceit, but by what we do according to the fruit of our deeds. So rather than trust in ourselves, rather than following our hearts, rather than acting according to what we believe, or what we feel, I'm sorry, we as believers are called to a more purposeful life. Instead of listening to our heart, instead of trusting in our feelings or our intuition or our guts or our instincts or however you want to put it, we trust in God and in his word. We're led by his spirit, not by our heart. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So earlier we read Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. And and I've always read this passage and thought of that word guard in the context of protecting our hearts, right? Like like someone might guard a bank to make sure that an intruder doesn't get in and, and, and steal, right? We guard our hearts from things that are trying to come in and intrude and corrupt us. So we guard ourselves by, you know, being careful of what we watch, what we listen to, not watching The Bachelor, right? We, 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 we guard our hearts from the situations we put ourselves into. We guard our, our, our hearts by not letting our minds wander with destructive thoughts. Things like that. Because everything flows from the heart. And so a bad heart is going to produce bad fruit. And in the context of this passage in Proverbs 4, this seems to be the likely use of the word guard. But I was thinking about our hearts being deceitful and how we're told to guard our hearts. And there is another use of the word guard, isn't there? Like not only do we guard to keep, keep things safe to prevent intruders from coming in, but sometimes people stand guard to prevent something or someone from coming out. For instance, someone might guard a prison to make sure a prisoner doesn't come out. Or in basketball, you guard your opponent so that they don't get by you, so they don't run wild and and score all over you. What if guarding your hearts is more than just protecting it from further impurities or corruption? But what if it's also guarding our hearts from running wild? What if it's guarding our hearts from deceiving us? Guarding our hearts from leading our lives? Maybe guarding our hearts also has to do with, with keeping this villain bound up inside. So the challenge for us is to watch out for this, this evil that is, that is inside all of us. Don't allow this villain called your heart to run your life. Instead, I want to challenge you with another proverb. It's, it's, it's one you're probably familiar with. I want to close with this. It's just such an incredible passage. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in yourself or your own heart. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own wants and desires and emotions and instincts and intellect. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. And it is like a mirror that we hold up, hold it up to us And we see what's true from you, true from your words, what's true about you. But we also see what's true about our lives. And God, there is a lot of deceit in our lives, a lot of deceit in our hearts. Sin has corrupted us. And we buy it. We've fallen for the deceit so many times. We've made excuses for ourselves. 
We've rationalized our behavior and our words. So God, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us when we put our trust in ourselves, in our own wisdom, in our own instincts, in our own gut. And we've not trusted in you. God, I pray that we would trust in you with all of our hearts. That we would not lean on our own understanding. That we would solely rely on you and your word and your spirit. And then in all of our ways, we would submit to you. And that you would direct our paths. You would make our paths straight. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for your protection. And we pray for more of it in, in protecting and guarding our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.